Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Hi, Keith. Good morning. Okay, we started the show today talking about this movement to restore grizzly bear hunting in in British Columbia, and I'm surprised to see this come back. I thought this was done and dusted years ago here. Well, no. You've got at least one First Nations interested in resuming the hunt for economic purposes. Yeah. Um, It's, again... A reminder, there's 204 First Nations in B.C. There's not one First Nations, and one First Nations is not presumed to speak for another First Nation. So um, this is all, this not this specifically predicted, but it was flagged when UNDRIP was um, brought in, United United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. Right. That there were, it was a very complicated situation. It wasn't one size fits all. There, you look at uh, the fish farm. Yeah. Situation. There are some First Nations that want to continue to operate fish farms, operated by them, their economic livelihood. So uh, there is a risk for government to walk this fine balancing act, an outright ban of something, whether it's a grizzly bear hunt, fish farms, or whatever. If a First Nations says, wait a minute, that uh, runs counter to our economic interests, and we have historical track record in these activities, uh, we have the right to um, continue on. So yeah, and- it's an interesting debate and it's an interesting pickle the government finds itself in. Yeah, it really is because what we're talking about here is a commercial hunt, okay? So right now, the way this grizzly ban hunting ban works is First Nations are still allowed to hunt a grizzly bear mm-hmm. for food, ceremonial, ceremonial purposes, social purposes, okay? They're not allowed, though, to bring in rich American hunters to go, you know, on a commercial hunt. That's banned. Yep. But you have it, like you said, at least one First Nation, the Taltan central government in north northwestern British Columbia, saying, "Hey, we were involved in this business, okay? So we you had First Nations running like guide mm-hmm. outfitting companies, bringing up these rich hunters to bag a grizzly bear and making a lot of money from it. And some of them saying, we want we want yeah. this back now. Yeah. So, so uh, again, under UNDRIP, which is basically really strengthens First Nations rights." Uh, and opportunities, and enshrines in law their ability to basically self-determination should they have the right to resume yeah. this activity. And it's a, it's a tough call for the government. Right. So I spoke to Robin Unrah on the show earlier today. He's a, a, a hunting advocate in B.C., and his group supports reinstating this grizzly bear hunt. And here's what he had to say to me this morning. I'll get your thoughts. The ban uh, was based on emotions and political agendas, which led to voting in their favor. Scientists were ignored. The Auditor General was ignored. Hunters were ignored. First Nations were ignored in this decision. Okay, so he argues that there are lots of grizzly bears in B.C., and I don't think there's a lot of dispute that the number is around 15,000 bears in the province, which, and I spoke to a scientist on the show this morning who also said that this, in most of the province, is a sustainable population of bears, and you you could manage a hunt. But you can understand why a lot of people don't like it. Like most polls have shown, most British Columbians are opposed to this hunt. Oh, yeah. No, there's no yeah. question. I mean, I'm, I, again, personally, I have no interest in big game hunting. Well, know. yeah, most people what, are not, right? What is the point of that? But, yeah. again, it goes back to First Nations rights here. 
Yeah. Uh, this is a First Nations who's arguing this is their economic livelihood. It's not a brand new thing. This is a historic thing. Should they not have the right to go back on a limited basis with this commercial hunt? Yes. Which currently, as you say, is banned. So right. it revives the debate. And again, it extends to other forms of economic activity. Uh, fish farms, as I mentioned, some First Nations want to resume or maintain their operations on fish farms. You've got a resumption of protesters here at Ferry Creek being arrested. That's an, uh, uh, largely a First Nations-run operation up there. Old growth logging. Old growth logging yeah. on a limited basis. Yeah. And that's their economic livelihood. Should they not have the right to continue that? And you would argue under UNDRIP, enshrined in law, at least the spirit, that they would have the right. But we'll see. This Again, once government has to be careful when it brings in outright bans. There are going to be some exceptions, and UNDRIP has presented a whole new avenue of, restri- of exceptions. Okay, following that one closely. That's very interesting that that has emerged again. Let's listen to Danielle Smith, the Premier of Alberta. Now, this is interesting because under the the federal government's new net zero power plan, 2035, right, is the target date for a net zero electric grid in Canada. And in Alberta, they get most of their power Still from fossil fuel, yeah, right. Primarily from burning natural, natural gas. gas. It used to be coal. They've weaned themselves off coal to a large degree, but natural yeah. gas is still the predominant energy source for Alberta. And Alberta is, you know, not all provinces are the same here. BC has a very robust electrical system because of our hydro dam. Right. Which I think we're eighty-seven percent along the way to one hundred percent, and that's going to get to one hundred percent because Site C dam's about to come on. Line in 2025, a power call from BC Hydro goes out next year, which is going to be all clean power, solar, um, wind, and to a lesser degree, run of the river. But it's all electrical. So BC's way ahead of the curve. Alberta's starting from way behind. So this right. is this is one target for everyone. Yes. Quebec has a very uh, expansive hydroelectric system, as does Newfoundland. Ontario has nuclear power, yeah. which is uh, considered to be clean power. Alberta, is, and to a lesser degree, Saskatchewan, they're the ones opposed to this more than any other province. Because they're more reliant on fossil fuels. And they have the yeah. most to lose here. Yeah. Uh, and the most expensive path to get to one of you got Daniel Smith. You know, I've been critical of Daniel Smith on a number of fronts. I can certainly see some sympathy for her argument here that she's not starting in, Alberta's not starting in the same place as other provinces. They're way behind. And to expect them to catch up in a much quicker fashion, I just don't think it's realistic. Okay, well, let's listen to what she had to say. This is the Alberta Premier Daniel Smith speaking yesterday. Ottawa's strategy seems to be to placate the environmental extremists while throwing regular Canadians under the bus. That's wrong. It's unacceptable morally and financially. And Alberta's government will not go along with it. We will never allow these regulations to be implemented here. Full stop. Does she have that authority there to tell the well, well, tell the I federal think, government to stick it? Yeah, this is obviously potentially headed to the courts. Yeah. You know, this is a constitutional argument that's going to be argued by lawyers, not necessarily politicians. Yeah, a couple of things. If Pierre Polia becomes the, the prime minister of the next government, this all changes. You know, he's not he's going to throw this out. He's going to have a different target. Yeah. And I've said this before. I don't believe any of these targets. No one's hit their targets anywhere around the world. And again, you know, Alberta, at the end of the day, when you look at the whole climate change situation, I think Canada accounts for 1.5% of all greenhouse gas emissions in the world. Surprised it's that high. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, maybe it's not even that high, but um, that yeah. was in the globe. And then Alberta, right. Alberta is a portion of that. Yeah, yeah, so right, tiny. Yeah. The, 
whole climate on per capita right? on per capita though it's very high yeah so yeah. i mean china is where this whole thing is won or lost yeah. you know china keeps fudging they keep building coal um uh, factories all the time in china and they're contributing to greenhouse gas emissions far more than whatever happens in alberta okay let's finish up with uh we continue to follow the indictments in georgia against donald trump and his colleagues right which mm-hmm. they're calling basically a criminal organization in georgia for, of them. for trying to overturn the election result one of the people charged in this indictment rudy giuliani trump's lawyer right and it, this is a rico case yeah. and rico normally used to go after like mobsters and right giuliani the mafia and it's very ironic and widely pointed out that when Rudy Giuliani was a crusading public prosecutor in New York City, he took down a lot of these mob bosses using RICO. So let's go back in time. This is WNBC News in New York City in 1985. Have a listen. They are said to run the most powerful crime families in New York, in fact, in the nation. And according to the government, they make up the commission, the ruling body of a potent criminal enterprise dealing in drugs and extortion, loan sharking, labor racketeering, and murder. The mafia leaders were rounded up in an overnight sweep, and today, U.S. Attorney Rudolph Giuliani announced the indictments. This is a great day for law enforcement, but this is a bad day, probably the worst, for the mafia. Okay, bad day for the mafia when he was using RICO, and now he's been charged under RICO. Yeah, so of the 41 counts in Georgia, 13 are against, uh, well, Trump's facing 13 of them, and tied with him is Giuliani, who's Mm. also facing 13. Yeah. One of those counts is racketeering, which is the RICO statute, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, again, irony of ironies, uh, Giuliani put on the map as he sure. successfully went after the mob in New York City. You and I were talking about his career arc is bizarre. I mean, he went to taking on the mob, and then 9-11 came, and he becomes this hero mayor of New York. Remember the Yankees games, you know, uh, front and center. And now he's yoked to Donald Trump and is reduced to this bizarre case in Georgia where he's facing 13 counts, which includes all not just racketeering, but also things like forgery, false documents, um, pressuring public uh, officers, influencing witnesses, election fraud, all sorts of things. So he's really in the in the uh, potentially in the slammer here uh, to a much greater degree than the other indicted. There's 18 people along with Trump indicted here on a number of counts. There's 30 unindicted people. Trump has already yeah. cast off one of the indictments because she's decided to support Ron DeSantis. And uh, so Trump is casting aside anyone who's disloyal to him. You can believe she's going to be singing like a canary. Well, I wonder how many of them are being squeezed oh, and might think decide to turn state's think, evidence. I think Giuliani has the, has the most to lose here. You know, Trump's yeah. got the ex- Oh, He won't, he won't turn against Trump, he though. He won't turn against Trump, but I bet well. you there's a lot of people turn against Giuliani. Baldry's beat. Phone lines are open. I got open lines right now. If you call now, you'll you will get through 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 toll free on your cell. Mike in Surrey. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Hey, just the grizzly bear hunt. This is nothing to do with like the Indians. And it's all about money. They I can send you the link. They put they did a study. They put collars on several seven adult brown bears up north. And those brown bears killed 238 moose and caribou calves, seven bears. Like, they're destroying the population. The Indians can still hunt for food or ceremonial purposes. What they want to do is they want to turn it into a business. Everything in this well, so world what? What's wrong? What's wrong with money. that? Well, what's wrong with well, turning it into a yeah. business? Sorry? Well, then don't take it away from the white man. Why are the white man doing it? You want to create a business that is driven by the white man. They want to bring in 
They want to say it's their culture, but they want to bring in all these white hunters to hunt the bear to make the money. Well, if you want to use it for your cultural purpose, that's fine. But when you want to use the white man to do to run your like to get your business oh, going, no, no, okay, no, okay, no, okay, no. okay, okay. This isn't a white man thing. Uh, look, this if a First Nations. I mean, this is a lot of hist- um, constitutional situations here, constitutional rights. Undrip. This is not about bringing in white hunters. So forget the race card here, caller. Um, but again, it's it, it it raises an interesting. Question: These people who are going to be brought in under this First Nations presumably are well-heeled, likely foreign tourists, because that was what was the case before the ban. Right. It was people paying big money to hunt, whether it was grizzly bears, and we've seen other species hunted as well, again, which I have no idea why people like to do that, but that's what it is. But, you know, to the caller's point, it was, well, they just want to make money, and it's like, well, so what if they want to make money? Because... That's you know, the whole this, this First Nation that is raising this concern right now, it, that's the very point that they're making, is that before this ban was brought in, this was a source of income for the community because they were involved in guide outfitting and they brought, they brought these hunters in to hunt, the, to hunt this animal and they made a lot of money on it. Like, this is big bucks, okay? Well, so I don't see what the problem is. Like, the, so the caller's like, oh, they just want to make money. Well, yeah, they were making money before and that's what they're saying. It was taken away from them. And keep in mind, this bans in the Northwest. I don't have any particular knowledge of this particular First Nations, but I do know there are a number of First Nations in the Northwest who have severe poverty rates. Well, yeah. And very little economic development. And you take away a big chunk of that development, uh, it can really hit economically, hit home quite hard. Again, I don't know this particular First Nations situation, but that's certainly the case with with others. And the other thing, I mean, the caller said, well, you know, there was a study about bears killing caribou and, and moose. Which, you know, I think is an, a, an interesting point because the scientists that we had earlier on the show today also raised that point that part of hunting is not only just about making money or whatever, it's also about managing other other wildlife populations that could be threatened. Well, that's the argument behind, so, behind culls of, uh, of predators because if you have too many predators, other species start to disappear. Yeah, Colleen in Vancouver. Hi, Colleen. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Hi, Mike. Did I hi. get cut yeah. off? No, you're good. good. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. I I was listening. This is about Trump. And I'll tell you, Mike, I don't call in very often. But yesterday, Rod Fay, I believe, was on. And I was just so incensed. I I called in, but I couldn't get through. The lines were busy. Long story short, Donald Trump is dangerous. This guy is a megalomaniac. He, he's manipulating everything. He stacked the Supreme Court. He's um, uh, everything he does is criminal. He is the Don and <laughs> the Don, as in gangsters. He's got yeah. Giuliani as his fall guy, and I mean Cohen. At least Cohen um, swallowed his lumps, and that um, trial with Stormy Daniels and all that. But this is so serious. This Why is do the you? Balance- why do you, hey, Col- Colleen, Colleen, why do you think so many Republicans support him despite all that? We just got 30 seconds here. Because they want to stay in power. It's about the money. It's, it, it, you know, they, 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 they want the status, the power. I mean, Ted Cruz and um, uh, little, little Alpha or whatever, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they all put up with him because they want to be elected. They want to yeah. have their pension plan. And, okay. and, and they've sold their souls. This Colleen, thank you, thank you for the call. I hate to step on you. Out of time, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think it's about the pension plan, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a group of Republicans who are more interested in hanging on to power, no matter which way it goes, 
do whatever it takes to cling to power, even if it means... Subverting. And they're not going to cross Trump, because Trump has too many supporters. Even if it means subverting yeah. democracy. And that's yeah. the situation the Republican Party finds it in. But I bet a month from now, there's less support for Trump in the Republican Party. Every day you see more defectors.